0: Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, a podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? What can we do to best embody that aliveness while dealing with the unique stressors that we're facing in this strange and potent time? I'm your host, Brett Kane, a licensed massage therapist and mindfulness meditation instructor, and joining us today is my new friend and fellow bodywork practitioner, Russell Stolzoff out of Bellingham, Washington. Russell has been practicing what is known as structural integration, more commonly referred to as Rolfing, uh, since 1989. He's served as chair of the Rolf Institute Board of Directors and is currently a member of the Rolf Institute's Executive Education Committee. He's the founder of Rolfing Works out of Washington and is overall a really good educator on what exactly this modality is. So without getting too into it here in this intro, Rolfing is something that seeks to alleviate chronic pain and help generate more easeful movement by addressing the body's myofascial system. So we do get into that. So hold on to your britches. Uh, before we get started, I just want to say bodywork to me is it's one of my passions and I didn't realize it was one of my passions until I really got started with it. But I really think this offers uh, it, it's the forefront of expanding consciousness by understanding that the body is just mind condensed. So a lot of people in the scenes that I kind of came up in, which the music festival scenes, spiritual scenes, um, when we talk about transformation, radical transformation, a lot of people point towards plant medicines. I think yes, uh, these are very important things. I have an episode on them with Sean and Cass from very Ape TV, and that's it's a very valid way to do it, but it's not. Really accessible to everybody. Uh, there are certain dispositions that I just I don't think it's radical enough to reach them. Whereas I think bodywork is already such an ingrained part of our society, and for me it just seems like a natural, much more natural and less um, destructive form of subtly changing people's perceptions of themselves and their relationships. And that's really what drew me to it is that it is it's mind and body though we are addressing the body it's a bottom-up approach rather than the top-down approach and rolfing is a really cool practice in that it has this kind of baked into it you talk to certain structural integration practitioners and we're, we're using the body to transform the mind and we don't talk about it too much here but i wanted to really expand the view of why i think body work is an important part of the view of cultivating vitality Um, it is radical in that it is accessible to everybody Uh, it's radical in that our experiences get baked into our bodies so how do you process those experiences but seeking a practitioner who can help you hold space to feel where you're holding tension and then training the body to let it go vitality flows with lack of tension so Bodywork is a part of the view that I'm offering on this show, and I think it's important. Even if it's not your natural inclini- inclination to tune into something like this, give it give it a second, and uh, you know, hear where we're going with it. Hear, you know, the passion that Russell brings to this is honestly really inspiring. Uh, the fact that he's been doing it since '89, you know, for me, it bodes well for um, job security, I guess, if you will. Um, as you know someone who also does this, but also that this is a very deep and rich world that can bring so much healing and so much joy and understanding and expansion to people's lives that I think everybody should have some sort of bodywork kind of relationship. Um, whether it's even just doing yoga and Tai Chi, we need to be doing some something. We need to have something in our lives that brings us into our body, not to escape the mind, but as a means to contextualize the mind. And I think getting started, it really helps to have a guide. And that's really what body work is doing, is we're creating neural pathways for you to know yourself differently. So today is going to be all about uh, the amazingly rich world of structural integration. Um, we also do talk a little bit as... Uh, practitioners you know so we talk about the power of intention and what how the intention shapes the thing almost more than the vehicle of modality does the power of having a narrative with what you're doing respecting science but also not being limited in that we can step into other worlds and actually create really palpable lasting change through the integrity of our touch so that's a lot of what this episode is about it was really cool for me to be able to pick his brain on something i've kind of always had in the back of mine as a genuine interest and in potential career choice and he really inspired me to again deepen my practice and deepen the space of practitioner and work with my clients in a more expansive and gentle way honestly so that's what we're going to be doing today guys i do want to start off um by saying that uh I had an issue with my recording thing, so I sw- switched to Zoom really last minute. We were essentially on the call, and I'm like, I got to order Zoom. So I didn't realize that Zoom has some poopy audio. Russell sounds great. He's got that rich, wonderful voice, but for some reason, it mangled me a little bit. So I sound like I'm talking at you through a tin can. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. That was the recording. Um yeah last minute things they cause for last minute adaptations and now i have a zoom program so that's fun um so just wanted to give you a heads up for that if you want to support the show if you really like what we're doing here with this wide umbrella of what wellness is including the external world as a part of our equilibrium within ourselves then head on over to apple podcast leave us a review um Even if it's a bad review, I really want to know. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear if this is landing. If it's not landing, I'm really good with constructive criticism. I'm also good with compliments. Load me up. I love that too. Head on over to YouTube. Subscribe there. Like, comment, all that stuff. Um, Instagram, Facebook. You can follow us on there to stay up to date on all the newest content. I've also been posting a lot of uh, just talks of things that are interesting me right now. A lot of meditation talks, some body work stuff. So Instagram is a really good spot to be as well for all of that updated content. Uh, We also do have a Patreon. Right now I don't have any rewards until I reach a certain amount of listeners. Then I'm going to be releasing uh, 21st Century Vitalism After Hours, which is going to be a bonus show uh, with me and my friends. I'm not going to have any sort of pretense for what we're talking about. It's just going to be shooting from the hips. So if you're uh, wanting a little bit more of the show, then, um, yeah, once we get to a certain amount, then that's going to be behind the Patreon. Still figuring out the pricing for that. But if you want to support us, every little bit helps. Even if it's a dollar, um, it, it, it helps me build momentum and helps me invest more time and have it feel reciprocal in that way. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I want to thank Russell right off the bat for joining me and educating me. It was great. I love this episode. I love it. So, yeah, that's it, friends. Um, Yeah, that's it. Open your hearts, drink some tea, do some stretches and welcome Russell Stoltzoff. Russell, hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism. I just want to start by saying thank you so much for giving me some of your time. I know you're really busy, so this really does mean a lot to me. Well, thank you for asking me, Brett, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Great. So I know we talked a little bit on the phone prior to actually organizing this. So you, as well as my listeners, know that I'm a licensed massage therapist. And something that I've noticed with a lot of my veteran bodywork clients is that the people who've been in it a long time have all talked up this, this practice called rolfing. So in reaching out to you, I I literally was Googling. I was like, who's good at talking about rolfing? And you kept coming up. So I listened to a podcast with you in it. And I was like, that's the guy. So starting off, I don't really know much about it. And I'm just kind of curious if we could actually kind of outline what this practice is and how it could potentially benefit people. So wherever you think is maybe the best place to start with that, I trust
1: you. Yeah, the the practice. And I'm glad that you use the word practice because it really is a practice. And I, I would say that, well, first of all, I just wanna say a little disclaimer because rolfing was is the original form of a type of body work that is known by its generic term, structural integration. So when Dr. Ida Rolf, created Rolfing, developed it back in the 19, I would say really around the 1940s and fifties. She didn't call the work Rolfing. Uh, It was called structural integration. Mm. So and then people became fond of her. Rolfing kind of caught fire in the human potential movement of the late 1960s and early mid 1970s at a place called the Esalen Institute on the Big Sur coastline in California. And that's where the people who would become the first teachers after her of rolfing encountered her and uh, people would say, oh, I'm going to go get rolfed because Dr. Rolf was the one doing the rolfing, you know, and it, it kind of, the name kind of came that way. Fast forward to 2020 and there are a number of ways to train as a structural integration practitioner. The Rolf Institute is the original and the first uh, and, and remains probably the largest uh, training organization. But um, so if I use the word in our conversation "Rolfing," I really mean it to refer to not only Rolfing and uh, not only the Rolfing brand of structural integration, but I'm being an old person uh, and a Rolfer. <laughs> uh, I I uh, I sort of reflexively say that so. Um, So really, it's been around for a while, and it's a practice based on the perspective that we live in the Earth's gravitational field, uh, which means that certain things tend to happen to our bodies. Um, And rolfing is a way of addressing those things. Maybe most fundamentally, uh, people tend to get compressed over time and twisted. Uh, Gravity and other things, behaviors moods emotions experiences they tend to uh sometimes cause us to get uh, disintegrated physically as well as in in other realms and uh, rolfing is a way of decompressing and untwisting the body uh, by helping all of the major weight-bearing segments align better to each other which helps to balance the body better in gravity that we all, it's constant force. We're hardly, we're not really aware of it. Um, and and that helps us to move better and, and, and ultimately just have a better lived experience in our, in our bodies. Um, so that's the, and the way that we accomplish that is by working in this web, this endless web as it's been called of fascia that is both seamless and ubiquitous, pervasive throughout the body. It's it's just starts underneath your skin. It go it penetrates all the way into your bones. It surrounds and folds, compartmentalizes everything that you can think of as a structure or some anatomical thing in your body. Fascia is surrounding it and probably penetrating it. Um, so. And that, and, and and Dr. Ida Rolf made fascia the centerpiece of Rolfing when she developed it, and as most people have heard now, fascia has become a popular thing, you know, some seventy years later. Um, but Rolfers have been working and uh, with fascia, manipulating fascia to get the body to. Uh, realign and and be more at home and in harmony with earth's gravitational field uh, and help people move better uh, for, you know, for a long time. So that is the, and that is the practice of rolfing. Mm. That's, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I, I haven't studied rolfing
0: extensively, but I have studied the myofascial system kind of extensively and namely the part of it that is that I've heard that it's the most neurologically dense part of the body that there's 70% more nociceptors in the myofascia than there
1: are even in the muscle tissues themselves. Is that true? I've heard the same thing. And uh, so, I I mean, and the people who are saying that are doing the kind of research that helps to determine that. So um, I don't have that research at my fingertips, um, but I know that the more they're looking, the more they look into what is in the fascia, the more they realize that it, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's far from this kind of like, superfluous tissue that, you know, you dissect out of the way to get to the things that matter. Um, but so yeah, I mean, um, there, there's all kinds of receptors in, in the fascia. Mm. So why is it that a lot of Western medicine
0: and um, like physical uh, therapy and stuff kind of disregards the fascial system? It seems like I have talked to a lot of trainers and other people who are in the healthcare field. And when I bring up like myofascial studies and some of the ideas behind it, I always get like the deer in headlights look. And a lot of people are like, I've never even like thought about that. Is this being taught in like mainstream education right now or is it
1: slowly making its way or why is there that weird tension Uh, you know it's a I I don't have the definitive answer to that question it's a great question and um, I have a couple of thoughts and my you know the first one is that it's just a historical artifact Um, you know you start doing something some way and it's not, it, it kind of works, it, fo- it, it develops its own internal logic and you don't look for other answers. You know, your curiosity kind of ends there or something or or, or to the extent that it remains, it follows the line that you're on. And so mm-hmm. it's it's only been probably in the last 15 years or something that the, that the fascia research has started to open up the realities that we're discovering. Um, And I think that the educational systems that have been in place for a long time in the medical field, which is I think what you're predominantly referring to, even if you're talking about physical therapy, that's an, that's a branch. It's a, it's a branch off of the, the medical field. I think that, Um, that those things are, it's just an artifact of the way that they've always looked at it. And then, you know, the kind of, (laughs) I I, I mean, I have no, no bones. Um, it's not totally true, but, you know, I, I have nothing against the medical field or doctors. Um, you know, I, I believe in them and, and trust them with my own body, but I, you know, the perspective is limited and. And part of the problem is that along the way they've be, they've gotten to be the sort of arbiter of all things body related, you know, the ultimate authority, and so we all turn to them to um, to for to know what's real. Um, fortunately, there are doctors now that are <clears throat> involved in facial studies and and starting to uh, develop. Uh, our knowledge and spread the knowledge that that they're that that's being discovered, and um, so that so that's a really good thing, um, and I think that you know it flows from there. Yeah, it almost feels like there's like a momentum of scientific advancement
0: that kind of maybe potentially gets in the way of it seeing new potentialities, because then if you like take in this thing like oh like this myofascia this continuous web that one point affects all the other points it causes a lot of like, we need to regress and like re-examine some of the base structures. And it's like, that is so much more work, you know? So it almost seems easier to just kind of bulldoze that. And like, until it reaches critical mass, then it's like, oh, now we have to look at it, you know? But there's kind of this like line momentum that goes forward and
1: I, I yeah. feel like, yeah. There, there's a lot of problems. I mean, the, the the other problem is that, you know, in science, uh, until you can prove it, it's kind of not thought to be real. And, um, you know, but, you know, the, a lot of scientists will say, well, you know, there's all kinds of things we know are real, then we can't prove it through science. Um, and I think rolfing and things related to rolfing and body work and things that essentially we're doing from the outside of the body that we can't really see the effects of, of what we're doing um we can't prove it um we don't really ultimately we, we really don't know what's happening <laughs> and yeah. and so we're enamored of these tissues and we're kind of trip you know tripping out like oh wow you know is everywhere and you know and and isn't it cool and like i think we can feel it but we don't really know if we feel it and it it's it's really um it, you know, and Ida, Ida Rolf was quite clear about this. Uh, one of the quotes I like to share with my students is uh, from a, something she said that, she said, you know, when you're, when you're Rolfing, you not only think you're in a morass, you are in a morass. Mm. And, and then she goes on to say that, essentially, what she's trying to do is to teach rolfers to just pay attention to what they can see and feel and the relationships between those things and to try and improve them um you know that that's and that that's an inherently insecure uh process like you really you're never really sure and so science doesn't like that and um and so there's really kind of a divide there, you know, like the mind of a person that goes into rolfing, you know, is different, I think, than someone who goes into research or science, you know, or or needs to have evidence based uh, certainty to be able to proceed. Um, it, you know, if if we required that we would never put a hand on anybody. I think it also points to
0: a really important aspect of body work that I always try and distill into my clients is that the subjective experience is a very primary and important aspect of what bodywork is. Whether or not we can fully articulate it in words, if you have an experience of deeper levels of embodiment understanding, that's what we're doing. You know, if you can change the way that you feel within your body, then th- that's healing, you know. So I, I really think it's important in between that that space, you're able to actually create an experience that they carry with them forever, you know? And I, I really think
1: this has a potential to really step into that. I agree completely. It's, it's it's, you know, and at the same time um, there are some subjective experiences that you can say are sort of loosely connected or maybe even not connected to what's real and so um it sort of begs the question of like you know just because you had the experience is it, it you know does it reflect like a physical reality um and and so i think one of the for me as a practitioner one of the guiding uh requirements, I guess, or, or, or continuous practice, a standard, you know, that I try to hold myself to is that my subjective experiences match something that's real Mm. and, um, as closely as I can, as I can get the, get it to be. And that's kind of like through what I would say is rigorous testing of my subjectivity. Um, and so it's not, Like, I don't want to be making it up. I don't want to tell anybody that I'm doing something that I'm not doing just because I think I might be doing it, you know. So I'd rather say I don't know. On the other hand, you know, there are certain reliable things that do happen. And I've tested those things. And ultimately, you could say, well, it's just going through Russell's subjective filter. And so he could be making the whole thing up. And I grant that that's a possibility. But I've developed over time ways of testing what I do that I'm believe that I believe, but also that I, I, I hope as deeply hope that, you know, those things are, are, are real there, you know, and, and I'm using my subjectivity to do it that, I mean, cause that's really all we have, you know, we don't use instruments that measure things. Um, so,
0: yeah. Well, I think also I like the idea of like the intention to integrity, like continuously opening up to what, like the, evidence points to but still like not uh, abandoning the whole thing but adapting it and like working with it that's honestly like the more scientific thing is like what is the hypothesis is always changing but it's like there's something true and genuine that's happening in this practice we don't entirely know what but because we don't know we're open to we're open you know so we're actually more receptive rather than like closing down and I'm sure, you know, after the 30 years of you doing it, you've had incredible results with probably hundreds, if not thousands of people. So,
1: you know, this has a place in the, the marketplace of wellness and. Absolutely. It's very, very valuable. Once you, you know, once people start, you know, we might be obscure, but once people understand that structural integration is a thing and they find a practitioner and they feel what it does for them, um, uh, You probably have a client for life, you know, not, not that you work with them all the time, but that they know you're in the community and they can access you when they need you. And that what you do is something that is, uh, not offered by a lot of people. So, yeah. And I mean, honestly, all the clients that I've had that have had that work done
0: revere it, like that's like their benchmark. And then I'm always kind of like, well, dang, I'm probably not going to be able to meet that, but, uh, I'm glad to hear that it exists and they had these experiences so I'm kind of curious, what, what exactly is it? You know, we've kind of talked it is addressing the body's relationship to gravity, how it's constantly compression compressing, but how do you actually work with that, that foundation? And like, what does the session look like?
1: Well, the sessions look more like a massage therapy session than they do say like a chiropractic session or something like that. If I was going to compare uh, too commonly understood, you know, something that people might have an image, uh, in their mind about, um, in rolfing, especially at the beginning of, of a rolfer's, uh, years of practice there, rolfers are trained in a process that, uh, treats the body systemically as a whole, but addresses certain relationships in each of a, a basic, each session that comprises a basic series. And the basic series is usually about 10 sessions. And that's how we train rolfers. And essentially, when in the training process, we what that does is it helps people, you know, out of the sea of possibilities of what you could possibly do when you put your hands on somebody, you know, in this session, you're going to look at these relationships. And then in the next session, you look at at, at, at different relationships. You're still trying to see the whole, but it's, it's, uh, it, it helps you because the whole is overwhelming, <laughs> you know? So it's a, it's a way of, of reliably um, progressing through uh, to, to address the various strains and uh, restrictions and uh, places that the body needs, the structure needs to be uh, adjusted. Uh, and, and essentially what we, we tend to do is we work, we tend to work on fascial density, um, places in the body where the structure is compromised, uh, the structural relationships between segments are compromised by density. Um, and then we, but we start at the outside and we organize kind of layer, layer by layer, if you will, even though you could argue that there are no, not really distinct layers in the body we start at the outside and then we work our way in. We kind of organize our way in. So the first few sessions, we're kind of covering the body's surface, you know, we're looking at issues of like breathing, uh, spatial relationships. Uh, in the second session, we look at the body's relationship to the ground. So we work a lot in the in the feet and legs because support is critical. Um, for changes that happen above. If you think about like putting a roof on a house where a foundation is even off by a quarter of an inch over over, 10 or 20 years, the house is gonna sag over. So we try to make the base very supportive. And then in the middle sessions, we work more deeply in the body, closer to the spine on uh, structures that connect legs and spine, such as a psoas. Um, and then in the last sessions, we're trying to kind of tie it all together. Um, and we kind of integrate the work we've done uh, that is a little more differentiating because things kind of tend to get compressed. And so we try to make space. Um, I don't know if I'm being c- clear to what you were wondering about. Yeah, no, I think that that's a great like overview of kind of like the
0: process of going through this. I'm just kind of curious when you say myofascial density, are you referring to like myofascial trigger points or like knots as people would refer to them? Or is this
1: something a little bit more nuanced? Well, that's a great question. Um, I I think it's sometimes it's nuanced, but usually it's not. I mean, I think sometimes people would say, oh, like a lot of my clients will say, oh yeah, that's a knot. I'd say, what does that f- this feel like? It's a knot. I'm working on a place where The body is uh, sort of stiffer, and um, and really, it's it's kind of like my favorite metaphors for are are non are non animal metaphors. um, For example, uh, trees I think have an interesting the grain pattern in trees is uh, not not purely linear; It, it it twists. And um, even in a twig, you can see that twig is fundamentally growing upward, but it kind of twists and turns to get there. And then as the tree gets bigger and thicker, the, the even the the, the the outer bark pattern will reflect the the twist in, of that of that inner twig that that was once you know a young tree. And so I would say, you know, we're following these contours, and the contours have have strain and density in them and we're we're interacting with those densities to try and get the body more balanced around its center line. And the center line is not an anatomical uh, structure, but it's it, it, it's it's the the symbol of, of gravity itself that runs through us, you know, so maybe in physics, you would call that the sen- the center of balance. And there's some relationship there with the center of mass. but so we're trying to balance that that the body around its center. That's interesting.
0: So when we're talking like physiologically speaking, like that density, like what is it that is physically being
1: getting dense? and like what is that process of smoothing that out? Do you know like the that's a another really good question. I think that you know, for one thing, the fascia, So in the muscles, the muscles are surrounded by fascia, but then if you go into the bellies of the muscles, indeed, every fiber of muscle has, has a much finer substance, uh, connective tissue fascial substance around it. Um, so it's really, it really is like this web and, and, and that stuff, that collagenous fibrous matrix of tissue that muscles are embedded in, uh, has an ability to thicken itself in response to strain. So if your weight is not transmitting cleanly, I would say, or, you know, close to its center, the center of of, of the mass, then what happens is the fascia bolsters it. Mm. And it doesn't do this in, you know, usually over a long, it happens in, in in a twisting way, um, because that's really how the body is. It's not linear. Muscles are not straight up and down. They nothing is straight in the body. So there are places where it gets thick, mm. and 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 that's where. And so I think that that's part of the reason, anyway, that we get these thicknesses. Now you, to your other question, uh, which is. What's happening when we're interacting with it? Um, it's not totally clear. Um, you know, there we used to think that we were sort of ro- what I call rolling out the dough. You know, <laughs> that that we were actually and and it, and I think Dr. Rolf believed that <clears throat> that we were uh, lengthening actually lengthening the the fi- the the tissues uh, the, the fascial tissue itself. Okay. Then uh, 20-some years ago, uh, uh, Rolfer, who's become famous now as a fascial scientist, his name is Robert Schleip, did some experiments that showed that there's no way that we can deform fascia um, enough to uh, account for what we see and what we think is happening uh, according to that uh, hypothesis that we're rolling out the the dough um, and lengthening the fascia. Uh, and so then what happened was that we started looking for other models and um, and we're still doing that uh, and some uh, and so then what and then with the advent of the nervous system you know there like over the last 10 years or so I would say you know the brain became you know this kind of started receiving a lot of focus and everything in the body was thought to be an output of the brain and, you know, not, not just pain. And so, you know, body workers, rolfers started saying, well, we're just interacting with the brain and we're not really changing anything in the physical structure. Uh, and, you know, and, and that's a perspective too. Uh, and then there's this issue of like the way that fascia, mediates fluids in the body and so because there's a a, an extracellular matrix that is uh the fascia is within two and that can uh take various has various densities and viscosities to it so there's some thinking that maybe what we're doing is we're influencing the way that fluids flow around these places that we perceive are dense Um, and that we can encourage them to flow better. I happen to think that that is at least a piece of it. Um, and then there's this French doctor. He's a hand surgeon who's been popular at uh, the fascial research congresses that have happened uh, periodically over the last fifteen or so years. And and he has some videos that look under the skin. In fact, one of them is called strolling under the skin. His name is uh, Gimberto. And he puts a camera in and it's the as far as I know, it's the only live kind of in situ view into what is the living fascial matrix look like. And It's really remarkable. I encourage people who are interested to go see it because those, and and he's in the first layers of fascia under the skin. So fascia has many forms and densities, but in this loose kind of fascia, that's just underneath the skin, uh, the fibers seem to morph like right in front of your eyes. And nobody's applying any pressure or if they, or if they are, it's just the pressure of the camera or maybe they're touching the skin on top and that's tugging on, on the fascia below. And what you see is this kind of fractalized um, fibrous network random that is moving and some fibers are joining others. Others are taking off from, from, from the ones they're connected to. And it's, it's pretty trippy and, and so in my mind, I don't get a lot of traction with people when I talk about this, but they think I'm crazy. But I, but in my mind, that leaves open the idea that we are changing fascia from the outside with pressure. And um, we just can't haven't been able to show it. We can't measure it. It may not be significant. Um, so it's kind of a long-winded answer to your question, I hope. Uh, I'm answering your question.
0: Yeah, no, that totally did. Um, I'm reading right now through um, The New Rules of Posture by Mary Bond. And it's leaving me with a lot of food for thought on the idea of how we can actually change uh, the myofascial shape in that, I mean, the entire thing about rolfing and structural integration is about organizing the body structures in relation to gravity. And it almost seems like posture is the most fundamental way that we can do. That's like the only lasting way to make change is to like, bring in awareness to how we're holding our body. And I've been trying to communicate this to my clients that I'll be very upfront with them. Like I can bring you in a state of like deep relaxation, but unless you take this work into your life and start learning about the systems of your body, it's likely just going to be very temporary. Do you think that uh, potentially bringing the, just the the act of bringing awareness to certain structures and like kind of correcting them might be maybe the, the best way we can start, alleviating a lot of these chronic adhesions
1: i think it's a it's another way in and i think that um, and you could say you could even say that all we're doing when we're doing body work or maybe not all we're doing but a big part of what, what we're doing is we're helping bring people's awareness to places in their own bodies so that they can respond to how they are and and I mean by how they are, I mean like how they are right there where you're touching them. So it's like every touch, every sort of touch intervention can become like an invitation to the client to respond in a way that increases their ability to live more in those places uh, and to move differently in those places. And I think that you know when you You can, so you don't have to do that through touching. You can do that through educating about movement. And that's what Mary, uh, Mary Bond does very expertly. And, and she, um, and she's taken these a lot, you know, Mary's a rolfer and, um, but she's focused on movement and there's a branch of, of rolfing education called rolfing movement integration. And that is kind of the more functional aspect of, uh, of of rolfing where we look at awareness, you know, how to move awareness of your body through movement, awareness of your body in movement, awareness of the space that you occupy, how you occupy space and, and what you do in your body. Um, sort of habitually and, 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 you know, where there's limitations, how, how you can open up possibilities. Um, so I think that it all goes together um, some, you know, and I think it, some people prefer to work more on that end of it. And some people pref- prefer to work more on the sort of hands-on manipulation and some Rolfers uh, combine them quite effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. But I think your 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 orientation toward your clients is is exactly right, you know. There has to be, I mean, it's one thing to have a, a feel good experience, you know. It's another thing to be seeking to change something that is uh, in a more lasting way, and um, you know. So that that's that's kind of in Rolfing, we talk about, you know, three paradigms. One is sort of uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the um, relaxation paradigm, which you could say maybe is like the spa massage, you know, the other is corrective, uh, which is more like, um, you know, we're trying to fix something, maybe orthopedically, someone sprains their ankle. um, uh, And then, and then the third paradigm, which, we endeavor and aspire to 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 work in is is what we call the holistic paradigm which which says well yeah you sprain your ankle but really you know that has meaning through you that it's propagated through your whole body in fact maybe you sprained it because you were off balance in the first place and and anyway even if that isn't the case and you sprained it you know it's gonna have an effect throughout your whole system and uh and, and there's also different layers to that whole holistic view, which, you know, includes the more, uh, psychological and, and, uh, dimension as well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think we want to help people change, you know, and we want lasting change. Where would you say that you find yourself in that three different paradigm thing? Are you
0: approaching the holistic way as well with your clients? Do you try and take, that sprained ankle, and go deeper into their experience, or do you kind of prefer to do the hands-on, or where are you
1: at with that? I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I, I'm a, uh, I'm a hands-on guy. I, I mean, my, my first experiences with rolfing were direct, fashion manipulation, uh, changed my life, and made me want to be a Rolfer, and that is what I've spent you know, the last 35 years trying to get better and better at it every day. So I also, if, if I really look at it, I think what drew me to Rolfing was I love be- beautiful, movement. Mm. And so you can't really separate these things, <laughs> but I don't work. I, I don't work as much with people in movement as I do with them, uh, uh, you know, with, with my hands on through through manipulation, but I and you know, in reality, those three paradigms are always kind of intermingling with each other. But if you only have the relaxation paradigm, or you only have the corrective paradigm, and you don't have a way of understanding the relationship between these things in which place you're working in, and, and maybe you know, maybe somebody can't relax, you're never going to get the holism if you can't help them relax, you know, so you have to be able to, you have to be adept at, at, at creating the, the possibility for people. And I think that, that <clears throat> what I do, I take people where they are, where they come from. I don't have an agenda for them. I don't, I don't want, I don't tend to want things for them that they don't want for themselves. And, and not and, and that's something I've had to learn. And so you know, even though I might be able to see possibilities, I, I don't necessarily assume that that's what other people want. So the, the contract, if you will, that I form with people is based on you know what they come in expressing the need for help with. And then um, you know, if that dovetails with my skill set, then you know off we go and 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 i'm open to it evolving because sometimes people are like wow you know like i don't i didn't know that what i was coming to you for was going to lead to this and you know so then it can kind of open up and blossom and people can develop new and and deeper relationships to themselves through their bodies um and and that's a beautiful thing
0: I notice so many parallels between that and just the, the massage therapy profession and the idea that there's the three different paradigms. And I've been doing a lot of trades with other therapists from different schools and backgrounds and notice that it always comes to be like one of two kinds of folks who are really focused on the relaxation, which is a fine experience, but I end up leaving, kind of feeling the same. And then I have the, the really medical massage therapists who, um, Yes, do good work, but it hurts. And I like, I'm not relaxed and I find myself guarding a lot against it. And I've tried to toe the line in my own practice of like, it is important to me that the relaxation is a part of it, but I also want to make sure that we're creating lasting change.
1: So I'm just seeing like a lot of similarities in that kind of thing. And yeah, that's really important. I think that, you know, one thing that comes up when I listen to you make that comparison is that In the medical approach, the, the problem is already defined and the even the, the area of treatment is, is defined and the, the idea that, that the the system of the body or that the broad, that the, the area that's broader than the defined area is perhaps contributing to the problem area that's been defined is not really present in that perspective and that is the kind of the corrective idea so you're not looking you're not saying well we need to work with everything in order to help the place that that's the that's being identified as the problem and i think that's one of the strong suits of of structural integration is that we're recognizing that essentially the body is a tensegrity system and there is no place in isolation from anywhere else. And now it may be very difficult to discern the the ways that distant places are contributing to reinforce the problem or how the problem itself might be creating problems elsewhere. It might be hard to perceive that uh, but over time that's i mean for me personally that's the beauty of practice over time is that you get more and more able to see some of these things and or at least to search for them and find them even if you can't see it at the outset to discover them and that's what keeps the practice so exciting for me but i think that when a practitioner says well it's just a shoulder it's a back spasm or you know and you go in there and you don't have the idea that the structure's twisted and that's part of what's creating the problem so you're able to relax the area and then the area just reconstitutes itself because the system is driving it back to do that and so that I mean I'm, I'm sort of like can you know kind of obliquely putting in a plug for <laughs> for you know the approach of structural integration because what we really do is we 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 teach how to practice with the awareness that there are system-wide patterns of compensation and that that is something that um you know that and and that that ends up being a, a a very effective way of addressing localized concerns and i can remember earlier in my practice when I would be anxious about it because my clients would come in and say, oh, it's my this or my that. And I would say, well, I, I know I got to work over somewhere far away from there, you know, cause I've worked on this thing enough and it's better but it's not as good as it could be. And um, I finally just started saying, hey, is it okay with you if I concentrate on this but not only on this? <laughs> and everybody just said, sure. And then I felt relaxed and I could do my work.
0: That's literally a conversation I have with like nine out of 10 of my clients. I mean, they come in with like the upper cross syndrome going on and all these issues. And I'm like, well, there's also like the aspect of your lower back, which goes into your glutes, which goes into your hamstrings. And um, at first, a lot of people, I can see some people like hesitation. They're like, this is the thing that hurts. I'm like, that's a, a symptom of a set of conditions. You know, so by addressing like the entire body-wide set of conditions, we're able to actually over time, it's a more holistic, rather than fixing it from the top down, we're fixing it from the bottom up. And yeah. there's also like the, the really simple, unarguable fact that being in a deep state of relaxation reduces the global muscle tone as well. So I, I, I've had a lot of massages from folks who come in with the idea that they're going to fix something. And you can feel that intention, tr- like communicate through their hands. There is an issue here. And then they they drill it and they drill it. And the rest of my body is like tensing up around it. So it creates this like weird, like you relax that area, but the rest of my body is tense now.
1: <laughs> and you feel pinned, <laughs> you know, yeah. you feel pinned yeah. to a spot. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's just, you know, it might be on the right spot, but they need to broaden out too. So I'm kind of curious, what do you think? So, like as a
0: massage therapist, what do you think the benefit of Rolfing is over traditional uh massage therapy? I, I mean, is it just the fact that there's a series of 10 and
1: you're going through that? Or no, is there room but,
0: for massage therapy? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, well, sure there is. I mean, I, I what I mean, I think the most honest and spacious thing I can say is um that It really comes down to the practitioner and, um, and how they know, uh, how they relate to the body. And one of the things that I mostly keep to myself, but I think about is it, I want to relate to the body as it is, and as I can experience it. Like, I don't want to be making things up about the body. And so, it, like, if you think about, you know, all these different ways that you can go study and learn about methods to to, to help people uh, in the bodywork realm, um, you know, it's not that it's not that you know one is better than the other. It, it's it's you know how close is that modality to something that's real, and then and then how much does it help? the practitioner learn or give them a structure or a pathway to be able to develop their ability to help their clients. And I think that, you know, so, so right away now we're, we're out of the realm of one thing is better than another, uh, uh, you know, now you could say that some schools or some methods teach that better than the other ones do. Uh, but I, you know, I, I, I just, I, I, you know, it's like, uh, I have clients that, that, that go to their massage therapist still, they like that, you know, they come to me and I focus on the problems or something like that. And they go to the massage therapist and they have like a more whole body relaxation experience or something along those lines. And, and they like both you know, and that's fine. Um, so I don't, and then, you know, it comes down to the practitioner. There's great massage therapists that never, they're not Rolfers, but they do great work and they probably accomplish some of the same things uh, that Rolfers do. And maybe some other things that Rolfers don't. So, I mean, it's really, uh, it's really, uh, you know, Obviously, I, I'm a rolfer, and so I, I'm I'm bullish on on that training and and what you know what it it's because I know what it's given me. It's given me a structure that to to, to unfold my abilities within that um, you know that as far as I can tell doesn't have any end to it, and so and there's there is structure around it, and I think that that's you know there, you know, you could say on the one hand, there's free flow, and on the other end of the spectrum, there's structure. And if the, if you free flow too much, you know, you're not really, you may not be really affecting things structurally, if you structure too much, then, you know, like you just described, the person's like drilling into this problem, and they're not aware of, you know, how it flows out from there. Um, So I think that, I think the rolfing education is great, but it's not for everyone.
0: Kind of just thought of the the metaphor that like a great musician will make great music, probably despite the instrument, you know, it's, you know, the driver of the car will be a good driver, regardless of the car. It's like, that's just the vehicle that you're using to get to the the end goal, but it's
1: all the intention and the heart space of the person who's doing the work. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we're, we're looking for, you know, people with aptitude, you know, and, um, and they're going to be good at whatever they choose. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think specifically in this field of body work, I think receptivity is truly, I love that you said like you meet the body where it is. And I think that that's something that really sets apart a good body worker from run of the mill or average, if you will, but it's like the ability and willingness to listen to what the body is communicating. And I think just like, honestly, meeting it where it is rather than, I feel like the idea of fixing it it is saying to the body, you're not good enough where you are. And that Mm. tenses the body more, it re-solidifies that patterning in the nervous system where if you meet it with the proper amount of pressure that supports it, but doesn't like crush it, I think that the body wants to like release into it, you know, that's been my approach. It's like, I, I don't really buy into the deep tissue massage modality too much. I feel like it lends itself really well to that kind of fixer up attitude. And, um, but a lot of people really want that, you know? So I also have to acknowledge that there's degrees in that because you have to also accommodate people's expectations. Because if you completely miss that mark, then you're just not doing them a good service. You're not meeting them where they're at. At the same time, there's an education towards like, we can actually treat the body in a little gentler of a way. And that should be the process. Like, as we do this, you should need maybe less and less pressure to have the same effect. I
1: don't know if that fits in at all, but it's I think of my it thought. does. It fits in perfectly. I think that it's exactly right. I mean, you know, deep tissue, you know, depth for depth's sake is not is not really a good way to go. Um, you know, we're not just trying to give people the intensity of experience and we're you know, the, and, you know, most people can take more, you know, if they're equating intensity with effect, then they need some education about how to maybe sense themselves differently, or, you know, they might have to take it on, (laughs) on trust at first, but um, that it's not just, it's about what's happening as a result of the touch, not just the sensation of the touch so that they're experiencing now sometimes you can use the sensation as a way to sort of engage people and that's a really good thing to do you know meet and that's part of I think meeting them where they are you know if like some guys all revved up or you know or they're super you know high energy you know a lot of tension in the body and you know and they they won't sort of register that you're entering their world until you match that level of intensity with your pressure you know if you sort of stay on the outside of that and kind of go well this is where i feel and you know and i want you to come meet me here they're going to be like what are you talking about you know so um and then other people you just can't you know they're already kind of out there and they're super sensitive and you you know so it's really about like it's really about knowing what you're going after and and not so much about the level of pressure um, because um, you know that's not in my, at least in my in my uh, practice that's not the goal the goal is sort of the pressure is a means to accomplish you know the intended effect uh, and you know it's interesting, uh, a lot of people don't, you know, don't want to have a narrative. <laughs> a lot of practi- It's important, I believe, I guess is one way to say this better, it, 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 is that I think it's important for practitioners to develop a narrative about what they think their work is doing and what is happening when they're doing it. So that they can, if they were to be asked, why are you doing what you're doing right now? You'd be able to tell them. Uh, your client or tell yourself maybe more importantly. Um, and that's not always so easy because we can kind of get lost in the doing of it. And, uh, <clears throat> but I think it's a good skill to pay attention to. I, I totally agree. I think that that's a really wonderful way of kind of kicking the
0: tires of the vehicle that you're driving. You know, you got to like test it out a little bit, but you got to have faith in what you're doing too. Cause if you don't, that's going to communicate through your confidence if you don't know why you're doing something that that
1: communicates that's the rub in when you're first getting started you know especially and and earlier on you know like it's hard to have confidence when you don't have experience right you know so um I don't know maybe the fake it till you make it comes into mind but you can at least have the idea that you you uh, you have an intention you know, and that what you're doing is in the, in the direction of that intention. Um, I think that's one of the beautiful things about rolfing is that it teaches practitioners a way of being effective before they can fully understand how it works. Yeah. And so it gives you like a, it's not like, it's not a protocol but it's, as I said, it's a progressing list of territorial kind of considerations, and that helps get you in the ballpark. And then, and, and people's bodies will get better and you'll be like, and, and, do, and practicing that over time gives you the, the understanding of how, how the body is and how it works. And, and it kind of unfolds for you in that way. And I think that that's, a really beautiful thing it's like you couldn't probably go to school long enough to to learn that way yeah it's kind of like um the teacher in this case is
0: always the student you know like the practitioner it what like the feeling that i'm getting with rolf i mean honestly all body work is like we're really uncovering aspects of ourselves through the shared space of working with clients and like that is the never-ending unfolding, which actually deepens our ability to affect change, is because we're affecting change on ourselves, and that's what
1: the space is. Both are kind of transformed. Yeah, one of my wise co- older colleagues, uh, who happens to also be a union uh, psychologist, <clears throat> says that in the end, rolfing is for the rolfer, and <laughs> and I don't know what to think of that I don't know how to really you know it's kind of for me it's kind of a koan but I I also because I go like wait a minute you know it's not just for the raw wait a minute it's not no it's for the clients come on you know and then I think well you know like when I think about what rolfing has given me as a practitioner like it's this weird thing that you know, I've been doing I've been made my living doing it, I, you know, support myself and, you know, my, my daughter and you know, it's like I and I and I help people every day, and they appreciate it. And it gives me a vehicle for understanding my, my perception, uh, and for developing it, my sensitivity, the way that I relate to people, um, and I mean, I just can't even say enough about that. For, uh, how how grateful I am about that because, I mean, it's and and lately, just the idea that like I have a job where people appreciate me all the time, you know, <laughs> and it's like that's that's pretty rare i'm coming to realize <laughs> you know yeah. like not everybody and so like it's not like i go to work going like oh i need these strokes or something but like incidentally you know it it just it's a better vibe you know to like have that exchange of energy where i'm earnestly trying to help people and they're and they're feeling appreciative of it uh, you know and they value it enough to 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 pay me for for my work you know and it's, it's awesome. It's really awesome. And it's not going away. I don't feel like any, I'm not going to get like replaced by AI. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to live long enough to have to really worry about it, but you know, it's like, so yeah. And I think I, I'm I'm just going strong.
0: That's really good to hear. It's one of the few uh, professions that there's no exploitation, you know, it's a net positive for everybody involved and yeah. say the things that are good for you truly are also good for your entire network as well. Absolutely. So the fact that you can tune into that, I think is a really good indicator. Yep. I, I know you do have a limited amount of time. Mm. So um, I do want to just close this out by saying thank you so much, Russell. I really appreciate this. Um, taking the time to chat with me, I I love talking with other body workers, especially folks who have been in it a little bit longer than me, because you know, sometimes when you're in your practice, it can be a little isolating. It's like, absolutely, interpreting this right, or so
1: this is kind of giving me a another win. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you for having me, Brett. And I think you know your your intelligence comes through, and it's um it's been a pleasure to. Have the opportunity to talk with you, and um, yeah, you know, and 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 the isolating piece is is real, and I think it's important to reach out when when you're feeling isolated to others. So um, I appreciate you doing that with me, and uh, would be happy to connect with you anytime.
0: Awesome, thank you. I I could definitely see this being a recurring theme in the show, so. I'll uh, keep you on the list and uh, yeah, I'll be touching back with you pretty soon here. Okay, great. Sounds good. Maybe we could get more specific. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think I I just wanted to have an overview. You know, a lot of people, myself included, I'm like, I kind of know what it is, but yeah, yeah, yeah. there's so much. I I mean, we didn't make it through all everything I had on the list. (laughs) Okay. Well,
1: good. um, We'll do it again then if it works for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. All right. All right. Well, hope you have a great day. Enjoy your time with your clients. Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right, my friends. That was the episode. Thank you so much for listening all the way through till the end. I really do make this show for you. If you want to keep in touch with Russell, head on over to com. Check out a lot of his content there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, he's got some media. He's got some workshops. Um, and yeah uh tune in in two weeks to sit down with the ineffable michael garfield as we talk about finding balance on the brink of collapse it's kind of a leap in content but that's what we're all about here it's a wide umbrella and you should probably know what to do when we're facing um you know, climate change. That's a real deal. So, yeah, if you want to support the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, subscribe over on YouTube, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, interact with the stuff. Um, all of that helps. We also got the Patreon work, and head on over to the new website if you haven't. It's uh, www.21stcenturyvitalism.com. If you uh, know anybody who wants to be on the show, or if you want to be on the show, shoot me an email. All that stuff's going to be over on the website. Uh, Thank you again so much for listening all the way through till the end. We will catch you in two weeks with Michael Garfield.